Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. If some of you could type yes into the questions box, that would be great just to confirm you guys can hear me. Um, so today I'm going to answer your questions as always. And our theme for today is what's holding you back? Most inventors have something that's holding them back in one way or another, whether or not they want to admit it to themselves. And so I'm going to answer your questions. We're also going to, we're going to kind of keep it in the context of what's holding you back. And I may ramble on that subject a little bit too. So if you guys could type in uh, yes, if you can hear me, that would be great because sometimes um, YouTube trips out. Let me see. I'm also going to turn off. Great. I'm glad you guys can hear me. I'm going to turn off my headset on my phone because that created a problem once. Excellent. Thank you, everybody, for confirming. All right. So let's let's jump in here. What is holding you back? We're going to answer some questions in that context, but I'm going to answer your questions. So please make sure to type your questions. We are here to help. What is InventRight all about? InventRight's all about licensing. What is licensing? Means you rent or lease your product idea to a big company. Why say rent or lease? Because if they don't perform, you can take it back. And it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. So you dump it on them and they take it from there. You move on license other products, probably license other products to them as well. Maybe line extensions of your product, maybe other products. That's the basics. Um, you don't need a patent. You can get a provisional patent. You don't need a prototype. You can quite often just give a marking piece. I'm not saying you never need a patent or you never need a prototype because as with any questions and answers I do on this session or any other session, any answer doesn't apply to 100% of the situations. But typically on these live streams or when we're doing videos, it's applying most of the time. So keep that in mind. All right. So thank you, everybody, for confirming you can hear me. Um, let's get going here. Let's start from the top. Uh, the handle, and if you want me to not read your handle, but instead read your name, just type your name at the beginning of your question. Uh, the first person, their handle is Cognitive Dissident. Um, I'm learning to use CAD, but I don't know how to engineer a household appliance. Whew, that seems like a tall order. I can't get a manufacturing cost without specs. You've answered every question only so far your huge generosity can take me, smiley face. So, okay, here's a question. Uh, we'll just call you cognitive since your handle's cognitive dissident or Mr. Dissident. Um, you're learning to use, CAD, to use CAD. That is a tall order. You know, I was just talking to a gentleman today that um, he said he, he wasn't a student of ours. He's actually interested in the program. And he has a 3D printer. And I said, you know, everybody thinks like, oh, 3D printers are so cheap. I'll just buy one of those. And I said to him, I said, well, it sounds like you know how to use it because you kind of have a background in CAD. Um, but just because you have a 3D printer, it's not as easy. I mean, if you have a computer, you can type words and you click print and it will print those words to a piece of paper. That's pretty simple. Not so easy with a 3D printer. So just because you can click print, but you got to create a model. You got to create a prototype and computer aided drawing and know how to do all that. And I, I said also, I said, even though you have that skill, you shouldn't always use it. Quite often, just doing a 3D rendering, you know, in a beautiful, so it looks in a for a marketing piece, is going to be a better bet because the the the, the 3D prototypes they can look quite hacked together. But you might want to do that and play with it. Again, it really depends. Um, and you figure out it works, and you're like, okay, well, I know this works, and I I created this 3D prototype to figure out if it works. But I wouldn't want to show them this. Um, but we'll get a 3D rendering done. We do that for our students and it'll look beautiful and that's what it looks like, okay? So um, the, the, the lesson here is just because 3D printers are fairly cheap now, depending on what type you get, of course, um, the ability and the skill to make a prototype, a computer-aided drawing to print on a 3D printer is incredibly complex in a lot of situations. Sometimes it's simple. Do you wanna mess around learning that skill for a year? when you could be worked have worked on three or four products during that time to try to license it. So you have to figure out what's right for you. I'm not negative at all on a 3D printer. I don't own one. I would love to get one. Um, I'd love to play around with it. But you know why I haven't? Because I don't have a freaking time. I barely have time to spend with my wife and my 10-year-old daughter. And I, I, I'm fascinated by everything like most inventors. So um, I'm like, I don't need that right now. Because, and for some of you, you might go, okay, that would be a distraction. I got to focus on trying to license my products. 
and it's not a necessity for licensing my products. Um, so uh, cognitive dissonance is saying a couple things. Uh, I don't know how to engineer a household appliance. Yeah, most people don't. And I can't get a cost of manufacturing without specs. Who said you needed it? So, um, so okay, first of all, there's a difference between trying to pitch a new type of refrigerator, a major appliance or dishwasher, and trying to license a small appliance, right? The major appliance, you know, if your potential licensees are like KitchenAid and Samsung and, you know, and a few major companies, that's going to be a very hard product to license. I'm not saying you don't work on it. It's just going to be very hard. If it's a smaller appliance, there's usually more companies, maybe a little bit more open, but that's a little bit difficult too. Um, sometimes it's just gadgets, kitchen gadgets, and it's not an appliance, like a big old KitchenAid blender, or that's a, my, a smaller appliance. And then a larger appliance, like a refrigerator or dishwasher. So order of difficulty is refrigerator, dishwasher, major appliance, a little bit easier, uh, uh, a minor appliance, like a food processor or a coffee machine or something like that. And then you just have like kitchen gadgets. So you press this button and then this spins and it cuts something and that's lower and easier than a minor appliance. So major appliance, minor appliance, and, and a gadget, you know, is would be the easiest. Major appliance would be the hardest. So um, I think you have to ask yourself cognitive if um, that's your handle. If, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not crazy. You've just joined me. You're like, what is he talking about? Why do you say the word cognitive? Um, you have to ask yourself if that's, uh, if you're working on the right project. I'm not saying you aren't, but if you, all this engineering needs to be done, which you may not, you may just think it may. Can you sell the benefit? Are you 70% sure they can make it? If you're 70% sure they can make it, just go ahead and pitch it, okay? Um, if you're like, ah, uh, I'm not even, I'm just like, I think I might be making stuff up. I got to verify all this stuff. Huh. That might be a tougher project. But most of the time you don't. A lot of people think they need to, but you don't when you look at it. Uh, Mike Yee said, what happens if someone wants to sign up again after their yearly membership expires? Do they get a discount? Yes, our students get a massive discount, um, like after six months, if they want to continue at a cheaper price. Yeah, we give our existing students about a $1,500 discount. So it's huge. We really support our, our InventRight students. And it doesn't have to be continuous. It could be eight years later. It could be continuously. So yeah, Mike, uh, make sure to talk to Sylvia. Just click on the um, contact us button on the website and book a call with Sylvia or just give us a call and uh, she'll she'll share with you all your options if you're an existing student. Dave Church said, hi, Andrew, what's the best and the easiest free program to create a professional looking sell sheet? I can do the images in Photoshop. Thank you. Okay. So now I don't know you, David, as far as I know, you're a professional graphic designer. Um, I don't think inventors should be doing their own sell sheets. It's so affordable these days to have a professional graphic designer do a sell sheet. We do them for our students. They should, you should never be doing a sell sheet. What our students do is they create a crude version of it. They figure out, well, it has these two images, benefit statement, bullet point here, you know, five bullet points here. You know, generally I think it's a medical device. So I think we want it to be blue because that's what the other one, you know, you do that and it might look God awful, but the bones are good. So our students work with the coaches to create a good sell sheet that has good bones. And then a graphic designer makes it pretty just because, you know, and I don't know your skills, David, you might be a professional graphic designer. Just because, you know, a little Photoshop doesn't make you a graphic designer. Somebody that's doing marketing pieces every day, they're doing that layout every day. That should be the person doing it. Now, the other problem is garbage in, garbage out. Most graphic designers are not marketing people. So they can make something pretty, but if you give them crappy marketing, it's a beautiful piece of crap. <laughs> Pardon my language. Just trying to get your guys' attention. So if it's bad marketing and they make it pretty, it's still a bad sell sheet, but it looks nice. So what our coaches do with our students is go through the marketing, look at, study the marketplace, all the other products in that space, make sure, and then people go, oh, there's nothing like it, Andrew. I'm like, that's not marketing research. How does your product fit in amongst these other products? Well, that product's kind of similar. So we're going to use kind of the same wording for that little benefit. And then your point of difference is this benefit. And you're going to kind of like take from some of these other pieces. So you've got to do your research and then you got to do good marketing. And then the graphic designer is just there to make it pretty. Okay. 
So, David, where you and others can fall down is like, well, I know a little Photoshop. I could throw something together. Well, if your marketing's not good and then you're not a professional graphic designer, it'll never look as good. And there's no reason to do that these days with how reasonable graphic designers are. There's no reason to do it yourself. So don't because that is your sales tool. That's doing all the selling for you. So um, for those of you joining us a little late um, or there's not late. You guys show up whenever you want. That's fine. Um, I just want to say to today is the theme is what's holding you back. So I'm answering your questions. So type in your questions into the chat and I'm answering them with the theme of what's holding you back. So um, Dave, uh, what's holding you back maybe is your marketing material. And now you're like, Dan, Andrew, you throw a monkey wrench in there. I was going to do it myself. Don't. Now you can create the crude version yourself, but then you give it to a graphic designer, whether it's our graphic designers or a graphic designer you find elsewhere, and then they're gonna make it beautiful. But do not expect a graphic designer to change your bad marketing. That's not their job. They're a graphic designer. They're not a marketer. Very few graphic designers that are also both. Um, they might make some tweaks, but don't, don't count them on to do that. So the other thing I wanna mention right now is, um, so we got 50 people on here. We got 20 thumbs up. I need to ask all you guys to give me a thumbs up. I'm gonna spend an entire hour here answering your questions. So I want to see as many thumbs up as people on the line. You don't have to, but you know, I just want to answer your question. No, I'm kidding. I can't even see who's giving the thumbs up and who's not, but I'd really appreciate it if you can give me a thumbs up. Also click subscribe down below and click on the notification button too. That way you get notified of these live streams. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Chad said, who's Chad's a current student of ours. I just did a YouTube video with him on, and that was great with his coach Keanu. He just licensed the product. Congratulations, Chad. Very cool. Uh, Chad said, hey, Andrew, no questions tonight. Just taking a break from working on my big product pitch presentation for my licensee and figured I would drop in and say hello. Yeah, welcome, Chad. I just finished writing 22 one-sentence benefit statements in a row. I was ready for a break. That's great. I love that. So Chad's talking about the one sentence benefit statement. And that is the statement you put at the top of your sell sheet. So it's one sentence, it's the biggest benefit. You might have other benefits in the bullet points. And, but I really like what he's saying here. He wrote 22 of them. You know, he just wrote a whole bunch. Now he's gonna go through them. He's gonna figure out which one is the best. That is acting like a pro. You know, don't just do your first time go, well, that's good. And you know, quite often our coaches will look at a sell sheet and they'll go, hmm, it's clear to me. This third bullet point, that's your big benefit. Take the big benefit statement at the top, the one sentence benefit statement, put that down here. You don't have things in the right order. So I still don't have all those thumbs up, guys. Please, please, please give me more thumbs up. Um, really appreciate that. It's good for the YouTube al algorithm. I'm spending a whole hour answering your questions and you're making me beg. Don't do that. I'm just kidding and kind of not. Um, Margie said, uh, hi, Andrew, I had a company respond that they do take outside submissions and asked me to send my proprietary idea. That's very bizarre wording, um, among other things. And my biography, also bizarre. Uh, does proprietary mean patented? And what do you say for biography? Okay, I'm really glad you asked this. This is my first product, so I have no history or track record. Thank you for your help. Uh, Margie, you don't need it. You don't need it. I've only had, this is really weird that they ask you for that. I've only had two students in our entire history over 23 years with students in 65 countries where a, a company asked for, uh, asked for your biography or asked for your portfolio. They don't care what you did before. They only care what you're showing them now. Okay. So what you experience is an anomaly full on. I don't know if it's the way you approached it or if it's just an anomaly. Okay. But I get new inventors all the time. They say, oh, this happened. And I look at what they tell me what happened. And I go, and they go, well, this is always going to happen. I'm like, no, that's an anomaly. So don't, with a very small sample size of experience, assume that things are common that are not. So that's totally not common. That's what a lot of inventors worry about. Oh, well, I, I haven't been doing this for a while. I don't have a track record to prove to them that I'm a successful inventor with tons of products licensed. They don't care. Now, so it's really weird that they ask you for this. It's bizarre. I've like, I never hear this. So what I would do is write up a little something. So when they say proprietary idea, they just mean it's yours. They're saying, I hope you're sending me something unique. 
It's really odd wording, bizarre wording, but you know, whatever people have their own language this, that particular marketing manager just wanted to say it that way. So just send them your product. If you, you file the provisional patent application, right? You make sure to do that. Um, so, and we've got software on our website called Smart IP that will help you file a provisional patent application. You go to inventright.com and you can get it. And um, so, yeah, I'm assuming they're talking about patented. For the biography, just say, just keep it short. You know, I'm a professional inventor and I develop and license products to companies like yours. Done. Send it. Okay. Don't even give it two thoughts. All right. Um, but I love that you got that. That's so weird. I don't, and I love that you guys are hearing that that's weird and very unusual because I think a lot of people worry about that. Oh, I don't have a track. They don't care. They don't care. Now, the only, the time that they care is you send them this terrible sell sheet that is clearly not for their company because it's like, did you even look at our product line? This isn't what we do. You know, they care about that. They care about you waiting, you know, wasting their time, but they don't care what you've done before. Uh, Andrew said, good name, uh, said, hi again, Andrew, how do you call companies that don't have a phone number on their website? Or in that case, is it just best to go through LinkedIn? I think it's best to use every method you can. I would use LinkedIn. I would use email. And, you know, sometimes um, you need to look them up. So, you know, you can, you can go, you know, XYZ company, corporate site, maybe they're a smaller company. Maybe they don't have the phone number on their website, but you can also just type in XYZ company phone number and it sh it'll show up like in some other search or something like one of the info company searches and you got a phone number. Uh, but it's not that uncommon sometimes for that not to be on their website, but um, usually you can Google it and, and find it. But if you can't, no worries, reach out on LinkedIn, reach out via email, reach out every way you can. Um, because when people are new to this or a little timid, people like the idea that they can use LinkedIn. That's great. But if you can't get a hold of people on LinkedIn, let's say you got 30 companies, right? And by the way, that is our approach, people. You're not reaching out to two or three companies. You're reaching out to 20 or 30. Some of our students reach out to 100. Okay, with some products, you might only have 12 or 15. That's who you're going to reach out to then. But you're playing a numbers game, okay? So uh, let's say you're just reaching out on LinkedIn and only you only got a hold of 18 out of 30 on LinkedIn. Okay. And the other 12, you're going to, well, I'm going to try. And, you know, they're not on LinkedIn, maybe. Maybe they're a whole company there. They don't use LinkedIn. Or the marketing manager is only on there if he's looking for a job. And other guys are on there every day or every week or whatever. So then you got to email them. And then if you don't get there, you can phone, you can phone them too. So um, you're not done. This is the invent right approach until you get a no from everybody on your list. All right. Um, so today's theme is um, what's holding you back. So I'm going to answer all these questions in that context. So what is holding Andrew back? Kind of a little way. He was like, oh, there's no phone to run this website. Well, Google it. See if you can find it. Type in the name of the company, phone number or whatever. See if you can find it. If not, no worries. It's not like every company will be the same. Some you'll get on LinkedIn. Some you'll get on email. Some you'll get on phone. We have some of our coaches that have funky things like reached out to their um, social media manager or something like that, or reach out to their PR person, you know, or something like that. Those are kind of desperate things if you didn't get a hold of them on the phone, email, or LinkedIn. But you, you're trying every way. So that's kind of holding you back. Like when people are new, little things like, oh, this is my favorite company. I can't find their phone number. Little things like that will hold you back. I'm not saying that's holding you back, Andrew, but that's the theme today. What's holding you back? Don't let it hold you back. Don't think that every method will be right for every company. That's why you got to use all the methods for reaching out. Uh, Killeen said, uh, that's cool. I've never heard, seen that name before. Um, and it's a, it's a cool alliteration, Killeen Kinnaman. Um, so that's cool. Uh, how important is having 500 plus connections and having a professional looking LinkedIn profile? Um, I think having a professional LinkedIn looking profile is very important. I don't think you need to set the bar too high. I think that you you have to have your picture up there. Um, you you don't want an unprofessional background. Uh, any LinkedIn profile that doesn't have your picture, your headshot, is unprofessional, straight up. Um, they just are. So you have to put your picture up. Um, I don't think you need 500. I think I think 100 is fine to get started. But sometimes people are new to LinkedIn. They're like, oh, I have to be very careful about who they choose. No, you you just add anybody. 
So every every time, like if you added me, what do I? I don't know what I have. Like twelve thousand, I forget. So every and if I accept you, which I will, um, everybody in my network is now your second degree connection. Instantly, you got twelve thousand more contacts. So even some of the people that are kind of quasi spamming you, reach out. If you add them, then everybody in their network is part of your network. They have a big network. You know, I'm not saying do that, but I let anybody into my network. That and that's not some people like. Oh, I just want the companies that I'm reaching out to. No, that's not the way it works. You know, you should reach out to inventors, add them. You should try to add a lot of other people and and try to get it up to 100, 150 before you start reaching out, which is pretty freaking easy. Um, and realize they won't go back to you right away. Um, there's a lot of tricks that we teach you. We have a program called SmartFitch specifically. It doesn't get more specific than this. Um, specifically for inventors to learn how to reach out on LinkedIn for licensing. Whoa, that's specific. So we do that class every two weeks with our Smart Pitch, LinkedIn for licensing expert, Benjamin Harrison, and we have trainings for that inside our membership site for our students. So there are very particular approaches. Um, a lot of people don't feel like they're getting traction there. We, we give them some tips and they feel like they're getting traction. So I don't think you need 500 at all. I think 100 is fine. But don't be stingy on who you add to your network. I mean, don't add somebody. The only people I don't add to my network is invention scam companies because they're evil. And I don't add them to my network. Sometimes I see them try to add me and I don't add them to my network. See, literally the only thing I'm scanning for, I'm accepting everyone. Okay. Now, if somebody starts spamming me and it's inappropriate, then I just block them. Okay. But it's like a weird, it's not, but it's like a weird pyramid scheme, you know? Everybody that, that you add, now they're part of your network and blah, blah, blah. It's not a pyramid scheme, but it's weird how it works. So, but when people are new, they're like, well, but I don't personally know that person. No, I don't, I don't know like 99% of people on my LinkedIn and that's fine. Um, I mean, I know a lot of them as students and stuff, but I, I mean, I'm not going, I don't know this person personally, so I won't add them. Just freaking add them, okay? Um, Teresa said, I have an idea. I don't know where to start to keep it safe. Well, keeping it safe isn't really your concern, Teresa. It is your concern. And that is what's holding you back, which is the theme today. Um, so, but you're you have the wrong concern. You're really concerned about keeping it safe. So I'll say some things. So you maybe you're not as concerned about it. Doesn't mean you don't need to be careful, but you're not as concerned. In 23 years with students in 65 countries, I've never had one of our members who are reaching out to 20 or 30 companies at least, most of the, most, for most of their products, have an idea stolen by a company that they presented their product to, okay? Now, I've had students that were concerned about it, and I gave them some things that didn't make them sound paranoid, but kind of put the company on notice. They said, well, monitor their website, and I've never had a student that I'm aware of that they reached out to a company and the company later stole it. So, you know, don't go posting your product all over the internet. Only show it privately to these companies and you're limiting your exposure there dramatically. File a provisional patent application. You're creating an email paper trail. There's reasons why. Companies don't want the liability of being sued. And the bigger they are, the more afraid they are of that. They see you created a paper trail. They see your sell sheet as patent pending. You spent $60 on that provisional patent. You've used our smart IP software to do that. Okay. Um, so where you start is not keeping it safe. Now, that's where everybody wants to start. And that's why patent attorneys end up getting a bunch of money from inventors when they're not ready. So you will file a provisional patent before you reach out, but you got to do your market research. You got to prepare your marketing materials. You got to figure out your list of companies. You got to make me make some tweaks to it. Do all that stuff before you protect it. And then before you show it to anybody, yes, you're going to file a provisional patent. But in doing all your research and doing all this stuff, nine times out of 10, you're changing something. So you're going to reflect that in your provisional patent application. So don't run around showing it to everybody, but do your research first. So what you should be concerned about is you have a good sell sheet, you've got a good list of companies, and then you, you've, us or somebody else has taken the fear of reaching out to companies away from you, and then file your provisional, and then just move forward, okay? So that's hopefully that gives you kind of a mindset there. So what to, what's holding, which is a the theme today, what's holding you back, what's holding Teresa back is what's holding ungodly amount of inventors back. I'm afraid that somebody will steal it. It's such a great idea, okay? Most inventors don't get ripped off. Most inventors rip themselves off. 
They rip themselves off out of their own fears. They don't show it to anybody. You ripped yourself off. There's, I talk to people that are like, oh, my dad had ideas, but he never showed them to anybody who fall pans and stuff. But he was so afraid of getting ripped off. I mean, that's like sad. You don't want to be that person, you know? And they're like, I don't want to be that person, you know? And I want to actually get out there and show my ideas. I just want to fall patents and mess around with prototypes. I want to actually be in the game. Um, Richard Johnson, hi, Andrew. When should you file a PPA? I just answered that. So before you start reaching out to companies, and again, anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. But um, you should file a provisional patent before you start reaching out to companies. But it's not the first thing you do ever. It's never, ever the first thing to do. Because if you do your proper research on only the products in space, you might make some tweaks to the product. You know, and you do, and typically our students will do their research, they'll make a sell sheet, they'll make their list of companies, and then you get all this information coming in. Oh, I need to change something in my provisional. Now, if you want to go ahead and file a provisional, you file it yourself and you spend 60 bucks, and then two weeks later, you you after you've done your research, you realize, oh, I gotta add something. You spend another 60 bucks, you can file another provisional, but that's just not a good use of your time. It's a waste of your time, it's a waste of sixty dollars. You can do that if you want. And it's a giant waste if you spend $2,500 having an attorney file a provisional patent. And it's a massive waste if you spend $10,000 on a patent and you didn't properly study the marketplace, look at all the products in the space, figure out what the other variations are so you have the strongest protection you possibly can. Do inventors do that all the time? All the freaking time. Should you? No. Now, don't go freaking out on me, guys, if you filed a patent and you're like, oh, I didn't think about all the variations. I didn't really do my research. You know, it's like, it is what it is. Just don't do it again. Okay. And if you file a full patent and you're like, damn, I spent 10K on a patent, but I realize there's some changes in you, file a provisional for 60 bucks. Then you could say patented and patent pending if the patent is issued. But but don't go blowing money on patents when you don't need to, guys. You got a whole year to see if the company show interest. You don't need to spend that money. It's unnecessary. Um, Deidre said, is it so... If you guys, oh, I got almost all the thumbs up. You guys, if is anybody hadn't given me a thumbs up and you appreciate my answers, as I answer more questions, are you guys holding out on me as I answer your question? Like, oh, I'm gonna give them a thumbs up. Thank you, thank you. No, just give it to me in advance. Just, just pay it in advance. Come on, come on, come on. One more. I'm not gonna talk until I get one more. Huh? Oh my god, really? Well, almost all of you have given me a thumbs up. So I think we're doing oh, there we go. Okay, all right. I couldn't answer questions. I'm just being silly. Um Deidre said, is it good if a company wants to do a go-to market with my product, meaning manufacturing it, pricing it out, and putting it on a website, then showing the sales to bigger companies? Something about that doesn't seem right. So um, something about that really doesn't seem right. They, they, you know, they don't show it to bigger companies. They show it to buyers at retailers, right? So um, I would figure out, so here's the way you, this is the litmus test. So Deidre, is this a company that has major distribution in major retailers or elsewhere? Like, oh, they're on Amazon too, and their product has 12,000 reviews, and oh, they're in this store, and they're in Lowe's, and they're in Walmart, or wherever. If, if that is the case, then they're a potential licensee. But saying they, they want to do a go-to market and they're like, there's companies that are not so reputable companies. Oh, well, we need 10,000 from you and we'll make a few and then we'll put it on our site and then we'll try to. And then before you know it, you spent God knows how much of them, $50,000, $60,000. If that's what you're talking about, I don't like that at all. That's not a smart move. That's somebody taking advantage of a rookie inventor more than likely. Now, I don't know what, I don't know if that's the case. I don't have enough info, but um, you license to potential licensees, major manufacturers that are in major retailers if that's not them it's a waste of time now i don't have all the information i don't know what company you're talking about i don't know all the details but just generally it, it seems like a waste of time to me but i don't have all the details um uh, mark said starting the best children's product with no money is great lol yeah you can do this with next to no money guys I mean, you know, a few bucks for a provisional patent, uh, $60 to be specific. If you're using our smart IP software, you got to pay $99 for the software. And um, 
And enough money for maybe a virtual prototype sell sheet. Maybe you don't even need a virtual prototype. If you can create something that looks good, good enough to take a picture of. If not, no worries. Do a virtual prototype. And uh, you can pitch the product with with very little money. So yeah, that's licensing. That's great. That's it's actually not licensing. That's the invent right approach to licensing. Um, cognitive dissonance said, maybe I was mistaken. He had this very, um, a major appliance or an appliance. Maybe I was mistaken. I can sell the benefit. It's a simple functionality. Yeah. So, you, you know, cognitive was trying to do like all this engineering and stuff. And again, I don't know his product. But if you're like, I know they can do it. I just don't have all the details. And I, it's logical that I think that they would be able to do it and be able to do it at a reasonable price. Just go it, sell the benefit. And here's the worst case scenario, Cognitive. You get a company or more than one company all intrigued and you can get, th this is like good, you can get them to do the additional research or work with them. Oh, but worst case scenario, you get them all interested and they're like, well, you got to figure this stuff out, dude. And you're like, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll come back to you. That'd be worst case scenario. How is that a bad thing? But you know there's interested in the benefit, not in a bunch of engineering drawings or a bunch of stuff. I'm not saying come up with crazy stuff that you don't even know if they can make it and you should pitch it. I'm not saying that. But it sounds like he's saying he believes like, oh, yeah, I think they can make it. Maybe I didn't need to figure all this stuff out. So um, let's see. Oh, I paged up too fast and I lost my place. My goodness, there's a lot of questions here. All right, where did I go here? Okay, uh, Gary, how to submit an idea. Boy, that is very general, Gary. Um, so uh, we talked about earlier three major ways to submit an idea is LinkedIn, email, and phone. And you're, with all of those, you're asking permission to send your marketing piece, a sell sheet or a video. A sell sheet is a one-page advertisement for your product. That is doing the selling for you. So you don't need to be a sales schmuck. You don't need to pitch. You don't need to dance on the corporate board room table. You're never going to be flying out to meet with them. You're not doing any of that garbage. They don't have time for that. Okay. Uh, you're emailing them your marketing piece. They're looking at it and it's not for them. It's for their customer. You want them to look at it and go, oh, I think if our customers saw this, they would want it. That's what you want. So it's not for them. Not, oh, if we only get 1% of the market, we'll both make millions or some pitch in there. None of that crap. All right. You are showing them how they would market the product. Okay. So hopefully that was helpful. Uh, and today we are the theme for answering your questions are what's holding you back. So one of the things that might have been holding, God, I lost track now. Where, who was who was I talking to? Gary. So one of the things that might have been holding Gary back is I don't know how to submit. Shit, that's a pretty good reason to be held back, right? Um, yeah, I hear you, man. Um, so uh, Sebastian said it's nice to see the channel growing. Hey everyone. Hey Sebastian, how you doing, man? Um, Ada said it's expensive when my budget is tight. No, it is not. It is not expensive. If you think $60 for a provisional patent and a few bucks for a sell sheet and a VP virtual prototype is expensive, then you need to save up some money, okay? Because you can do this very cost effectively. That is what's holding a lot of people back. Oh, I and so it was great. Thank you for the question, Ada. Oh, you know, a patent's expensive. I can't do this. Patent's $10,000. BS. A provisional patent is $60. You can buy our software for $99 and you can file a provisional. Okay, got rid of that one. Oh, I need a prototype. I don't know how to build a prototype. Who said you need a prototype? You're not selling a prototype. You're not selling a patent. You're selling the benefit of your product. You show that in the marketing piece and that's what you sell. So, Ada, where are all these expensive? I just removed them from you. And, and I'm so glad you asked that question. Because so many other people, this is expensive. I can't do this. I can't start a business. You don't need to start a business. You don't hire a single employee. You don't need to raise any money. You don't need to know any of these retailers. That's why you're licensing to a big manufacturer that has all these relationships. So I love that question, Ada. Fantastic. Teresa, thanks for the two thumbs up. Claire, you only gave me one thumbs up. I'm very upset at you. Um, I'm just kidding. Because Claire, Teresa, right above you gave you two thumbs up. So, hmm. so let's work on that. Uh, so, hey. Oh, cool. I, I got a lot of thumbs up down below too. I'm talking about in the chat, but everybody's give, be giving, giving me thumbs up in the in the YouTube interface, which is really nice. Thank you guys. I got to stop doing that. 
Um, <laughs> all right, Edgar and Jess, we have a fitness product and are close to begin discussing terms. Okay. The company is undecided on selling direct or offering it as a subscription program like Zumba. Huh, sounds like a big endeavor. Uh, can I can I ask to do both to be safe? You don't ask. You got to figure out what they want to do, right? You know, I mean, so companies will do whatever they already do. Nothing else. Okay. So you might be like, what are you talking about, Andrew? It's like, well, but I have a new product. They're not doing this product. Yeah, okay. They got a new product. But if a company sells in these five stores, that's where they're going to sell. If a company sells cheap little tchotchkes, that's it's going to be cheap. If a company sells really high-end, expensive products, it's going to be expensive. If a company sells middle of the road, just the right price point product, not too expensive, not too cheap, that's what they're going to do. Okay, So they're going to do whatever they currently do. So with that in mind, it's a fitness product. You're discussing terms, and they're trying to figure out if they want to sell it direct or offering a subscription program like Zumba. So this is what I would do, and you might be smarter than them. Or you can look at this, you can ask them and you can look. What have they done in the past? So if they just sell products direct and they never did a subscription program, that's something you need to ask them. Because now they're entertaining, which they might, and this might be the exception. They might, in this weird, which is not usually good, be willing to do something that they haven't done before. Because when people have done something over and over and over again, they're good at it. When they haven't done it before, higher chances of failure. Now, if they never sold a subscription program, am I like Zumba, like you're saying, am I saying you shouldn't let them do that? No, I'm not saying that. But as an inventor, what we do, what our negotiation coach does is helps the student interface with the company to evaluate. So you need to ask them a lot of questions. You need to evaluate them in order to do a deal. And Edgar and Jess, that's what you need to do. So like, have you guys ever sold a subscription program before? What do you normally do? Take a look at it. You want to ask all these questions and figure it out. What's your approach? What would be entailed there? What would be entailed there? You might kind of push them towards just selling the product. If you're like, if they're like, oh, you know, I got to I gotta get this by Sue and I don't think she's going to approve it. I don't think the owner's comfortable with this. And you're like, okay. And then you, you guide them back to just selling the product, right? So 50% of closing a licensing deal is dependent on you, the inventor, moving the deal forward. If you just sit around waiting for them to ask you questions and you answer questions, you will kill, you won't kill, deals will fizzle out. They'll just fizzle out into eat the ether almost every time. You need to know how to move the deal forward. That's why we don't just have licensing coaches. When one of our students gets interest, we put them on with our negotiation coach, Paul, and Paul guides them through the negotiation because it's that dicey, okay? So Edgar and Jess, you're at a very dicey part of the process. Um, I'm biased. We could, you could probably use our help. Um, we have a lot of students. I don't know if you're a past student or not. Um, either way, you might want to reach out to me. You can email me at Andrew at InventRight if you need some help. Um, Cognitive, like, uh, okay. Yeah, Cognitive said, thank you so much for your time and expertise. You're welcome. Um, Mr. Anderson says, can you suggest three to five key terms to inject in a term sheet agreement? No, I can't. That's a really bad idea. I think people try to piece together term sheets. You should not. You should not be doing a licensing deal without somebody that has that without the help of somebody that's done it before. And I have to be honest with you, quite often that's not a licensing attorney. Licensing attorneys, they'll nitpick the deal to death to get more billable hours. Before you know it, they piss the company off. They're arguing with their attorney. You got a dead deal. Okay. You need to find somebody that knows how to close licensing deals and isn't abrasive like a licensing attorney that can talk about various issues, you know, um, now you always want a licensing attorney to review a contract before you sign it though. Definitely. Um, but I can't suggest three to five terms to inject and go, and then people are leaving going, well, I just need those three to five terms, you know, no, but I can talk about some important terms 
There's so many in a licensing contract. The other thing that I'll say is we have never in the history of InventRight had, when we're guiding a student to get the contract from the company and they got the contract to say, oh, that's good, just sign it, not even remotely. Sometimes we get to bloody that like you wouldn't believe. And the student's like, oh my God, are they trying to screw me? And we're like, no, nah, this is normal stuff. You know, but you have to change so much about it. And if you don't understand all those terms, and if you think me suggesting three to five terms that are helpful or important to contract, and you think now that's enough for you to do a licensing deal and negotiate a contract, no, 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 no. Um, what I'll do is I'll share one. I'll share, and I'll share a general concept. And this I've seen inventors that weren't InventRight students, they told me they did a deal years ago, and they're like, oh, they never sold anything. And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, they never brought it to market. They never sold anything. And they're just holding on to it. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, I interact. I can't do anything with it. I'm like, where are the minimum guarantees? Where's the performance clause? They're like, what, what is that? I'm like, did you sign the contract they sent you? Yes, I did. Hmm. Well, that was a bad idea. Um, you need an out. If they don't perform, that you need to be able to take it back. One way of doing that, just one, is minimum guarantees. They need to pay you a minimum amount every three months. Every three months, six months, nine months, one year. Otherwise, you can take it back. It doesn't mean you will. Maybe they're struggling and you're like, hey, I'll, you know, you're not meeting the minimums. They're like, oh, well, we're trying to get in these stores. And you're like, okay. So it doesn't mean you're going to pull the rug out from under them, right? But that's just one way. And there's many other ways to make sure that they perform. You are not selling your idea to them. It's an important concept, another very important concept. You are renting or leasing it. If they don't perform, you get it back. You never should say, I want to sell you my invention. You want to license them your invention. Never say, I want to sell you my patent. I want to license you my invention. I want to license you my invention, okay? Um, so thank you, Mr. Anderson. Great, great question. Uh, probably didn't fully answer it. Um, maybe what's holding you back, because that's the theme today, what's holding you back? And then I'm answering all these questions in that context. Maybe what's holding you back is you're like, well, I, I got a deal. I, I wouldn't know how to do it. So maybe I'll just ask Andrew for a couple key terms so I know what to throw in there. That's half-ass. Now, you asking for those terms in a chat, that's perfectly fine. And you never said, well, I would be satisfied to close a deal because I got a few terms from it. You never said that. But I think some inventors think that. Not you, but maybe some others. Um, Ed said, does your idea or prototype have to be fully functional before you attempt to license it? Absolutely, positively freaking not. It does not. So thank you, Ed. Um, and that's probably what's holding you guys back, which is the theme today. Oh, my prototype's not good. No, I was like, who said it needed to be? Just do a good marketing piece. Okay. Um, Matt Miller said, the day, Andrew, Andrew, thank you. Is it okay when you connect contact companies and you get the CEO's cell number was online, you're talking to them, and they say at the end of the conversation, and they say hi on the CEO. I have no idea what you're saying there, Matt. I know you though. Um, okay, so he sounds like he got the CEO's contact number and then he called them and he realized it was the CEO. Generally, you don't wanna go after the CEO unless it's a small company. But it'll always go after marketing people first. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't really fully understand your question, Matt, if you want to clarify it. But um, but sometimes you'll end up talking to the CEO, and that can be fine. But everybody goes, well, I'm going to go to the top. Like, if you had 30 companies, and you're like, I'm going to go CEO of every one of these companies, you would be stupid. That would be stupid. That would be lame. That would be green. Don't do that. Okay? Now, if you're occasionally talking to a CEO, and, you know, you get sent over there, or it makes sense because it's really a smaller company, Okay, I'm not saying you should never talk to the CEO. I'm saying your initial outreach should never be to any CEOs ever. Um, and there's always exceptions, but um, but don't like reach out. Oh, I'll reach out to 30 CEOs. I'm gonna go right to the top. No, that's dumb. Okay. Uh, 
Margie said, what's holding me back is not being able to get people to connect on LinkedIn or respond to emails, even after multiple attempts. Then it makes me hesitate to pick up the phone since they haven't responded. Don't. Some of those people that aren't responding to your emails and LinkedIn messages will respond on the phone. Um, and and so, you know, some industries, you know, you're just easier to get a hold of people on LinkedIn. Other times aren't. Don't ask me for what those industries are because I've seen people like, I have one student, they're like, oh, I go hold of 20 companies on LinkedIn and this is the industry. And then another person's like, I can't get anybody. And I'm like, the exact same freaking industry. What's going on there? You know, it's probably your approach. Um, but um, Margie, I don't know if it's your approach um, via email and LinkedIn and what you're saying and what you're doing, um, or if you're approaching it just fine and maybe you just need to reach out more. But I would not hesitate for a second to call if those things aren't working. Uh, uh, oh, hi, Andrew. My name is uh, pronounced Kayleen. Kaylin. Got it. Kaylin. Got it. Cool. I still think it's a cool name. Kaylin Kinneman. I love it. Uh, do you think inventors should practice generating product ideas daily? Any advice on this? Um, no, I don't. Um, I think if you want to do a small part of your day, I think it's fine. But I think you should practice reaching out to companies daily because generating ideas does not make a successful inventor. Reaching out to companies makes a successful inventor. So if you're gonna do something daily, cause you use the word daily, I would say reaching out to companies and doing all this boring licensing stuff that you gotta do, the stuff that we teach. Um, but if you said, I, I, you know, I wanna spend 30 minutes a day and this brings me joy um, and you wanted to spend 30 minutes a day, but the problem is you're gonna get so excited about those, then you're not gonna do the boring stuff that we teach you. So um, I would say, if you're going to practice brainstorming new products, um, I would say maybe two, three times a week. Who am I to say what your creative process should be? If that brings you joy, what is it? Sparks joy, Marie Kondo. It sparks joy by brainstorming 30 minutes a day every day. And it's just like going to the gym. And, but that type of exercise is not enough. The real important exercise, the reason why our students, the reason why when you go to our website and you click on, does it still say inventions for sale on our website? Let me see. Um, I think it still says, yeah, inventions for sale. Go to InventRight, click on inventions or sale. You see like 100 products or students with license that are currently on the marketplace. You go to inventright.com and you do that. They license products not because they're brainstorming ideas every day, but because they reached out to companies. Okay. So I think I killed that one, um, I, but I think you guys got it. So um, what's holding you back is the theme today. What holds a lot of inventors back is to... Um, spend too much time ideating, creating not enough time on all the boring stuff that you have to do. When our students do the boring stuff, that's when they're successful. So, um, but great question. I love that. Kaylin, I got it right. Um, let's go to somebody that I haven't got to. Uh, uh, Andrew, uh, who says, uh, Andrew, how many people do you message per company? I would try three, four, five. Until you get that person, once you get that person, then don't keep messaging others. If they're like, oh, we'll take a look at it, right? Um, no, I don't think that's spamming people all. One won't know, the other one's, you're doing it to the other one. And again, going back to who is it that was having problems? Margie, um, maybe Margie, that's something you're doing wrong. You're like doing one at a time, maybe, where a lot of our students will just do four or five people in the company and see what sticks to the wall. That's not spamming people. Um, uh, now I lost my place again. Let's see. Okay. Harry says, do ideas of inventions always have to be possible? Some of my, mine might be impossible. Yeah. Might be. But here is the litmus test I gave you. If you're 70% sure they can do it, you can't figure all the details, but you're pretty sure they can do it. Based on looking at similar products in the market, you can go for it. Now, if you got another one, you're like, I know they can do it. And this one, I don't know, like there's going to be some issues here. There, Maybe you work on the one you know they can do. Um, you know, so, but if you're if you're just like kind of like dreaming and you're not doing your research and don't try to license crazy stuff, and you're like, they're like, well, how do you do this? And you're like, I don't know. You figure it out. Okay, you don't want to be there. You want to be like, well, I believe you can do it because of this, this, and this. There's that product and that product. And mine's just a little bit different. I just changed this one little thing. I don't even understand how the product is made but that one's selling for $24.95 and I just put this hinge over here. And, and if that's 
your could be your answer, then freaking go for it. But if you're like, oh God, there's like 20 things to figure out on this. I don't know if this could be done. Don't waste your time on it. When you have another product in your pipeline, you got a lot of ideas, you said, um, or figure it out. But sometimes it's not worth trying to figure it out. If you got if you're like one of these inventors that have like 50 ideas, 100 ideas, don't work on those impossible ideas. Work on the low-hanging fruit. Get experience licensing. And the more experience you have licensing, the better you are going to be picking your products to begin with. Okay. Um, uh, my two cents that my coach wanted me to play test my game. I found a meetup game of creators and game testers. I went, we played my game, and I got some ideas that improved my game. Can't wait for the next meetup. Well, that's cool. That's cool. You, you, if you, if you are doing a brainstorming group, you want them to all sign an NDA with an improvements clause that says you own any of those improvements whenever you're giving people pizza or something to test out your product. Um, so that's definitely a good thing to do. But thank, that's great. That's great. Your coach um, told you, you know, you could, you could, and you got some improvements that improved your game too. Which with games, you know, sometimes game inventors are really up in their head and what their family likes. But it gets good to get some feedback outside of your family. Um, and so that's great that you did that. Ethan said, I just followed my PPA yesterday and started reaching out. Thanks for all your help. Wow, that's great, Ethan. Fantastic. Um, Isaac said, how often do companies take your idea and add features to it? Are they open to adding functionality? Is it not, if it's not ready in your prototype? Yeah, they they change stuff all the time and it's great. So, you know, it's it's not that common. That it's like, this is your invention and they don't change anything about it in any way, shape or form. And if you're in that mindset that you're not willing to change and you're not talking about what they like, don't like about it, and then you're coming up with suggestions for the change, you're not doing it right. So yeah, it's normal. It's normal. And you should feel comfortable with that. Um, and I think a lot of new inventors, they think like this is the way it is. So this is what they're going to license. And quite often it changes quite a bit. Hey, license whatever you can. That's great. Be open to it. If they feel like, oh, if we suggest to make it blue instead of pink, he's going to freak out. That's not good. You don't want to give him that impression. You want to give him the impression that you're flexible and you're working with them and you're listening to what they don't like about it, too. So you can come up with some solutions maybe a few days or a week later, you know, and then you can send it to them. Um, uh, Doc said, how how would you one go about getting a patent if the patent attorney says it's obvious? So, Doc, um, I've talked to a lot of inventors where the patent attorney says that and they were wrong. You know, so, you know, you you look at it, you look at the products in this space and you might change your invention. So it's not obvious for patent purposes, but you never change stuff for patent purposes alone. You always change the product to make it more marketable. And then that more marketable product is now more patentable based on those new more marketable features. So if if it's too obvious, then maybe you need to change the product up a little bit. And maybe that attorney is wrong. I've talked to many inventors where they say that and I'm like, no, it's not. Just change this or that and you're good. You know, so don't patent attorneys are not inventors. So they might have been right about it for that particular product. They might have very, very well been right. Definitely. I'm not saying they weren't by any means, but they also don't know how to license. So you might just work around it. And then there's something that's patentable there. Also, you are seems license stuff that's not patentable all the time or it's weak. Um, don't think you can't license stuff without a patent. Um, Harry said, could there sometimes be no charge for an invention or idea? I have no idea what that means. No charge. I don't know. We coach and mentor our students to license products. So when we spend six months guiding you through the process, we're obviously have to charge for that. I don't know if you're talking about us or I, I'm not sure. Ada said, I have a rough draft of a cell sheet and a prototype. What package do you recommend? Um, what program do you recommend? I would recommend our premium coaching program. That's when you look at all our students that have licensed stuff, they've all signed up with that. And we do have an academy program, which is group coaching too. Um, but getting one-on-one -on -one guidance, talking one-on-one -on -one with a coach, there's nothing that, that matches up to that. Um, by the way, guys, before I uh, we wrap up here, I want to remind you guys, we have free resources on our site. So check out um, inventright.com and click on those free resources. That's great. If you're not signed up for that, check it out. If you're interested in coaching, click on contact us and, and book a call with us or call us. 
We're happy to talk to you about how we can coach and mentor you through the process. Been doing it forever and a day. And and check, click on, if you don't believe us, click on Inventions for Sale. See a bunch of our students' products that are currently on the market. It's just some of them. Um, and I think we got like 100 there or something. Um, so let's see. Ed said, another question, Andrew, would one have more success with 3D rendering and a great sell sheet than con that connects with companies diligently or someone that creates prototypes until they fully work? Yeah, I, I that's exactly my point. If somebody has good marketing and nice 3D renderings in a sell sheet and they're diligent about reaching out, I'm going to put that person's success is more likely to come before somebody that creates these beautiful prototypes, but they half-ass reaching out. That's not what you said. That's what I'm saying. Every time. So now I'm not saying you don't, you know, maybe you have the skills to make a beautiful prototype, but if you don't, don't feel like that you do. And again, everybody's situation is unique, of course. Um, Ed said, and people and spend significant amount of time worrying about the idea of works or not. So Ed, yeah, I, I you know, if you're 70%, I'm giving you a percentage, it's random. If you're 70% sure it can work and you really believe in the benefits of the product, the benefits are strong, go for it, okay? Um, but think about by looking at similar products, would this work or wouldn't, okay? Um, okay, Richard said, money money to be an InventRight student is a major factor holding um, some people back. What is the out for people if they can't complete the course? Um, don't sign up if you can't complete it. When people sign up, we're like fully committed to our students and they need to be fully committed to us to make all the payments. We have very few people that become delinquent. So do not sign up if you can't afford all the payments. Now, we have things like a kickstart call where you can do a one hour call with our head coach, Terry O'Mara. And if you want to, you can apply that amount actually towards the full premium coaching program. Um, we also have some other shorter programs that you can do too. So um, only uh, sign up for something, Richard, that is within your budget. I don't want somebody like not paying their utility bill because they're paying us. No way. Um, and we screen people. We don't let everybody sign up. If I sense there's an issue and they're, and I don't get this often, they're like in a get rich quick mindset. Oh, I'm going to license this thing like in a month and earn this money back. I'm like, don't sign up. Okay. We're going to make sure you do and say everything right. But even if you did a deal today, like if you did a deal like right now, today, it's going to be a year before you start to see money because that's how long it takes companies to launch products. Okay, if it's a sewn product, maybe they can launch it in five or six months, but it's going to take them a while to launch the product. And you're in the meantime, you're working on licensing more products. Um, John said, my favorite part of Mondays is hearing your expert advice. Thank you for what you do for us. You're welcome, John. You're welcome. Um, let's see. Harry said, what's a priority idea? I don't know what that means. Um, Keelin said, uh, thank you for the compliment regarding my name. I wish I could take credit for it. <laughs> Smiley face. Um, Ed said, thank you. And Steven, you guys are the best. Thank you, Ed. Um, Harry said, don't forget to write scripts for your ideas too. Um, I don't know what you mean by scripts. I think you should have an elevator pitch of sorts. Um, Harry, if that's what you mean, I agree. Um, but hopefully most of your, your, your sell sheet or your video is going to do the selling for you. Um, but I agree. You should have a little script, just a sentence, two or three that talks about your product and is intriguing. You should have that. Definitely. Um, uh, Maya said, thank you for all this. What if there are different ways to design my product? Do I show examples of different ways to design it in the sell sheet or a proposal? So no proposal, just sell sheet. No, like, oh, we're going to make money. This is a business. We're going to start together. None of that but that's not what you, you really meant a sell sheet. Um, no, you can't show five versions of it. You have to pick what you think is the best version. Sometimes it does make sense. And in a little smaller picture, it will say like alternate version. So maybe one other version, maybe. Most of the time I'm gonna say no, but you can't show them five different versions. You gotta pick, put your best foot forward. Probably if, they like the benefit of the product. It wouldn't matter which one they saw if you pick the best one anyway. But no, you can't overwhelm them like that. That's not what a, a customer would see, one of their customers. You need to show them what their customer would see. And you're not going to show five different versions of the product. So maybe one extra that's smaller picture. You got the big picture. 
that uh, you guys are, why are you putting your hand up, Andrew? That's the big picture in the cell sheet and visual. And then a smaller picture, like a little blow up that might be a variation, maybe, okay? Um, uh, uh, Doc said, how do you license the idea if it's not predictable? I don't know what that means. Um, Harry said, I remember some products stopped existing a long time ago. Um, okay. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what that means. Anyway, so uh, we've hit an hour, guys. Um, thank you all for giving me the thumbs up. I really appreciate it. Uh, down below, click subscribe if you're not subscribed. Check out inventright.com and click on our free resources. Check that out. And if you want to talk to us about coaching and mentoring you, go to inventright.com and click on the free the uh, contact us page. Um, so you're just sending people to free resources. So I want to remind you guys, take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you.